are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. I love, I love our church. I love being a part of this community of believers. You know, we've been in a series called Church, and um, it's honestly been kind of a hard series. I've had lots of conversations with people saying, Pastor, this is, this is hard. Because in the book of Acts, when you begin to study there, early on there's this promise that Jesus makes us that says, My Father is going to give you the gift of the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you're going to receive power, okay? And you're going to be witnesses. So that's the premise of the book. That's what the book is about. is about sharing this story of Jesus with other people. And so... Somehow, um, I feel like in the series maybe, and so I, I'm just going to kind of pause for a minute, okay, and just tell you that um, I, I, wish, I wish you and I were the only two people in a room and we were just sitting down looking each other in the eye and I could just tell you what's in my heart today. Because here's what I fear, okay? I, I fear that I'm answering questions that a lot of people aren't asking I don't know that there's a lot of us coming to church on Sunday saying, come on, pastor, talk to me about how important it is that I share Jesus with others. I, I don't know that there's a lot of people walking in the room on Sunday morning going, come on, Rick, we're here and we're ready. Bring it to us now. We want you to really challenge us to share our faith. So, something's happened in Christianity in America and, and we make shifts from time to time. And the shift, it seems like, that we're in now is one that says, you know what? I mean, my life is full and it's hard and there's challenges. And when I come to church on Sunday morning, I would love for you to take God's Word and just use it to somehow encourage me. And try to build me up and strengthen me and speak to my situation and into my life. And into what's going on into our struggles. And I don't know that what I really want to do is come to church on Sunday morning and have the pastor stand up and tell me that, that really I should make my life more about somebody else. I think that's where we shifted to. But deep down, deep, deep down, we know, we know, that when we begin to focus on somebody else, that's when our lives get really good. Annette and I can be going through some struggle in our lives, our family, our home, something, something we're praying about, something we're worried about, something that almost consumes us. And we know the best way to deal with that struggle is just to say, okay, God, you've always had this, you've got this, we're going to focus on somebody else. And that's where we find life. I, I, think, I think the people who come to church on Sunday morning, for the most part, are really good folks who love Jesus and deeply want to follow Him. But we live in this world where everything kind of pulls for our time and the enemy uses distractions to try to give us off our game. 
And, and I think many times you come with this attitude, hey, you know what, just tell me what I need to do and I'll try to do it, I promise you. Really, I mean, I, I love the Lord, Rick. You know, I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I wouldn't be doing this life if I didn't. I love the Lord. Just give me some guidance. Tell me what I should do. I'll, I'll give it an effort. And so in this conversation about helping people come to know Jesus, I have nothing better to give you than this, okay? After living for 55 years and growing up in church and being a student of ministry and a student of theology all my life, here's what I would say to you. The best thing you can do is just live with your arms wide open. Come to this place in your life of where you just say, I'm going to quit living like this. And I'm going to make room and space for whoever it is that God brings into my life. You, you understand how authentic this is, how genuine it is, how unplastic this is. It's not a cheap invitation that you say to the person who waits your table at a restaurant, oh, here's a card from our church, we're having a special day, maybe you should visit. It's not like that at all. This is saying, I'm going to make space for you. Let's go get some coffee. Come over to the house. Let's have dinner. Let's spend some time together. Let's become friends. I want to get to know you. And, and as I get to know that person, okay, what happens to me? The same thing happens to me with everybody else in my life that I love. I want you to know Jesus. Because here's what Jesus has done in my life. Here's what Jesus means to me. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I mean, this is not disingenuous. This is, in, this is genuine. This is not plastic. This is real. This is, this is opening my life to a relationship, to a friendship. It's not a cheap invitation to a church. It's, it's the best strategy I can give you. And here's what happens. I have a friend right now that is doing this in his life. And he said, what's interesting is, I was never the one who brought up faith. The other person did. Somehow, I guess they figured out I was a Christian. Maybe I referenced about something at church. And, and they I didn't even invite them to church. They invited themselves. Maybe I should go with you sometime, they said. I don't have any better strategy to talk to you about this morning. It's when I say I'm going to quit living like this and I'm going to pray tomorrow morning, God, if you will bring somebody into my life and give me the ability to recognize it, then I will open my arms to that person. I think it's our best method for sharing Jesus. The, The reason this is such an issue is because Jesus, before he leaves, says, I want to give you the mission. You ready? This is what I want you to give your lives to. I want you to go make disciples of every nation, baptize them, and then teach them the Jesus way. Okay? In John 20, again, Jesus says to the people who are following him, you know, like the Father sent me, you know, like he sent me here, you have to do this mission thing. Here's the deal now, I'm sending you. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. So, I want you to go make disciples, baptize them, teach them the Jesus way. And then he says, let me just make sure you hear me, okay? Because as the Father sent me to do this thing, now I'm sending you to do this thing. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to be given power. And when you get that power, you're going to be witnesses. See, here's what I want. I want the power that Jesus talked about the Spirit was going to give us. Do you? I want that in my life. So here's what I'm learning about 
human beings, okay? I just want to say this to you, and this is kind of the bottom line this morning. When people are committed to sharing Jesus with others, guess what they do? They share Jesus with others. They find a way. They don't make excuses. When people really believe that Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to give your life to, people who are committed to that idea find a way to do it. They don't make excuses. So let me go with you to the book of Acts and talk to you about some people who are committed to sharing Jesus with others, okay? Um, Acts chapter 8. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to start with verse 1. Acts 8, verse 1. Now, um, I, I got to give you the backstory. So sometimes I think when we get to this point, you're thumbing through your Bible or you're going, okay, this is where he kind of gives all that kind of Bible talk, trying to catch us up to where he is. And, and, uh, but this story is powerful. So I want you to, to lean in a little extra more than you normally would. Okay. So when we last talked from the book of Acts, what you had was the disciples uh, sharing Jesus, even though they're being, you know, threatened and persecuted. Okay. The heat gets turned up. Here's the story. There's a guy named Stephen, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, had great grace and power. And he's performing signs and wonders, okay? Like people are getting healed when he touches them. The Jewish rulers come out with a lot of anxiety and they try to argue with him, but the Bible says that they could not compete with the wisdom that the Spirit was giving Stephen. So then they say, okay, that's it. They go and get some shady characters. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. They get some shady characters and they say, we want you to go to the leaders, the rulers and say, we heard Stephen say this stuff, which it wasn't true. It was a lie. Okay. False stuff. So they go for a little cash on the side and they say, hey, we heard Stephen say this stuff. So they bring him in and they say, all right, defend yourself. Did you say this stuff? Where's what he does? He says, you know, over the years, and he traces back through the years of Israel's history, you've always persecuted the prophets. And now you have murdered God's righteous one. Well, they went nuts. I mean, he just accused us of murdering God's righteous one, the Messiah. And so they take him outside. I'm not, I'm not making any of this stuff up. If you don't know this story, you need to know this story. And they get a bunch of shady characters together. And they bring stones. Okay, I can't imagine if we brought somebody up and stood them right here and you all brought your stones and you start, you start stoning the guy. I mean, they're throwing large rocks into his body, into his skull, breaking arms, breaking legs. And they do this until his heart stops beating. They kill the guy on the street. Verse 1. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the Christians in Jerusalem become refugees. You understand? They got to take off. If they don't take off, they're going to die. So they scatter. They just like spread like crazy. They go out into the region of Judea, and then there's a region above that called Samaria, and they flee into Samaria, okay? Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
But Saul, okay, who later becomes Paul, he becomes a Christian later and he writes a lot in the New Testament, but he's not a Christian now. His name is Saul. At this point still, he began to destroy the church. Listen to this. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You're laying in bed tonight. Somebody comes up and kicks in your front door and they drag the husband and the wife out of the house and they take them to jail. I mean, that's what was happening. That's what it was like. And those who had been scattered, this is what is mind-blowing to me. They didn't make excuses. They didn't cower. Those who had been scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We're going to keep preaching. And so here's an example. Philip, for example, he went down to the city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed... They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed were healed. And lame, rather, were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Wow. I got a friend. His name is Dave. He's a pastor. And he says to me, I think that, um, I think that life is sometimes like making a pot of soup. You, you're making the soup, you put the ingredients in and you stir the soup and you taste the soup and it's not very tasty. And you think to yourself, oh, I wish the soup was more tasty. He said, what we know about the soup is if you just keep stirring it, it's not going to make it any more tasty. What you need is some fresh ingredients. Something is not right. You don't have everything you need in the pot, right? And he says, I think life is that way. My life is not what I wish it was. It's certainly not what God hopes it can be or, or would be or is. And, and there's things that aren't in my life that should be in my life. And so we talked a lot, Dave and I, about what, what, what if you committed to this? What if you committed to this, what I'm doing right now? This is a high commitment. I mean, for me to miss gathering together with other believers for worship, it's going to have to be a really big deal. What if every day in your life you found this time to be alone with God and you were in His Word and you prayed? What if every day, right now my prayer life is struggling and so you know what I'm resorting to? I'm writing prayers. I sit down on my laptop in the morning and I type out my prayer. It's helping me to stay focused. Because I realize how important of a part of my life that is. And I can't just say, I'm not feeling it today, I'm going to pass. What if you were a part of a group when I met Friday morning with some men who I meet with every week? I mean, they challenge me. Such an important part of my life. What if you served? What if you added that? You found somebody to give yourself away to. What if you were giving of your means? What if you were sharing your faith? What if you were living with your arms open? See, somehow in American church... We kind of have this idea that if I go on Sundays and uh, I give a little when the plate comes by, I'm doing the Christian thing. Spiritual growth is not really required. Um, it's like Although Jesus said that he wanted me to make my life about certain things, I really don't think I have to do that. 
It's like, it's like you can be Christian and you don't actually have to follow Jesus. So I went to a, an event this week with other pastors and, um, and the guy who was talking, his name was Kevin Harney, he asked questions that um, made us all pretty uncomfortable. And so I thought, since I was put through that excruciating pain, I should put you through it this morning. So here are the questions I'm going to ask you. I'll just ask you some of them. He asked many. Okay. So he, he said, you know, what if we just got really honest with ourselves? What if all the fake left the room and we just got real with ourselves and with God? And he said, if you, if you had someone who wasn't a Christian, okay, maybe, maybe many people, and, and you were God, Okay. So you're God and you've got these people who aren't followers of Jesus. They're not they don't know Jesus. Would you send them to your church? Why? Maybe why not? Would you say, oh, oh no, I, w- I would bring them here because the people here, they are passionate about this very thing, about helping people come to know Jesus. So they would be all over it. And, and, and they would break out of their own comfortable circles of community and they would actually let other people in the circle. And, and they would open their arms because that's the kind of people they are. I mean, they would truly open their arms. And yes, I would bring them to my church because my church... We are people who are passionate about helping people come to know Jesus and we're willing to step out of our comfort zones and we're willing to reach out to people and make them a part of our circle. So yes, I would bring them here. Or is there somebody in the room saying, I wouldn't bring them here. I, I think if you had a bunch of people who don't know Jesus, I think you should send them to Life Church. Be- because at least at Life Church, they're passionate about people who don't know Jesus. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's their mantra. I mean, every week they give this invitation. I mean, this is this is who they are. Not not so much here. Second question: If I could snap my finger, and with that snap, make everybody in the church just like me when it comes to reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. Would I snap? I mean, all I would have to do is just this. And everybody here would become just like me when it comes to reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. Would that be a good thing? If the whole church became like you, is that where we want to go? Is that the direction? Is that the goal? Is there anybody saying, don't snap? I don't reach out. Third question, how long has it been 
since someone who doesn't know Jesus sat with you in church on a Sunday morning? How long has it been since you brought somebody with you to church who doesn't know Jesus? Is there anybody who would say, Rick, I don't know that I've ever, I've ever brought anybody to church to sit by me who didn't know Jesus? Fourth question, does your heart hurt? Does it hurt? Does it break? Are you concerned about people who have never come to know Jesus? I think it's hard sermons. It's hard for me. It's this idea that can't we just be Christian and not actually follow Jesus? Couldn't we somehow just be Christian and not actually do what Jesus has asked us to do? We're okay with saying it because we say we want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. But the truth is, our lives do not reflect it. In fact, I have a lot of friends who are pastors. I know of a lot of churches. And, and when I have this conversation with them, they say, yeah, we say that we want to help people come to know Jesus, but there's a very little that happens at our church that really reflects that truth. I mean, we say it, we talk it, but are we really living it? Not so much. But let me tell you something. There's this picture. There's this picture that I just read you a moment ago. And it's a group of people in that early church. And when they say that they are passionate about helping people come to know Jesus, their lives reflect it. Did you read what I read to you? Did you hear what I read to you a moment ago? That all of a sudden great persecution breaks out against the church. And they are scattered. And some people go bury Stephen, this godly man. And then wherever they go, they just keep preaching the gospel. So um, this Kevin guy is telling you about, he told the story um, about meeting with some pastors, uh, pastors of large churches. I don't know what that means or who they are. But um, he said, we're sitting in a circle. There was about, uh, there were about rather seven, eight of us. I think he made eight in the circle. And he said, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, um, how long would it take your church to notice if you quit doing weekend services? And, and they said, I you know, he said their response was like, um, well, what do you, I mean, the first week, I mean, we do services every weekend. So the first weekend you don't do services, people are going to be, hey, what's up with this? You can't cancel church, you know. He says, okay. So, so less than a week, they're going to notice. Yes. Well, let's talk about other things you do at the church. Okay. What about if you stopped, um, like maybe men's ministry or women's ministry events. How long before people would notice? Well, they're, they're periodic anyway. Um, it would take maybe a couple of months. Okay. And then what would happen? People would notice and they might complain. You might get cards saying, hey, why, why did you quit this stuff? He says, okay, let me ask you the last question. How long would it take your people to notice if you stopped all of your ministry of evangelism reaching out to people who don't know Jesus? And he says the room was really quiet and heavy and then this one pastor speaks up and says, 
more than 10 years. And Kevin said, I looked at him with kind of a question mark, and I said, more than 10 years? And he goes, yeah. I've been at my church for 10 years. And for 10 years, we've done literally nothing to reach out to people who don't know Jesus, and nobody has seemed to notice. So more than 10 years. I, I, just, I just look at the picture of the church today and I look at the picture of the church in Acts and they don't seem to have a ton in common. Let me remind you, okay, just, just over the last few sermons, Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. They're filled with the Spirit. Peter stands up and preaches and here's what the Bible says. 3,000 people were added to the number that day. Okay, then if you get to the end of the book of Acts, here's what it says, verse 47, and the Lord added daily, this is the end of chapter 2, the Lord added daily to their number of those who were being saved. Okay, as you continue to make your way through, when you get to chapter 4, they're told, don't ever speak or teach about Jesus again. You can't say Jesus no more. But the church grew to about 5,000. When you get to chapter 5, they meet every day in temple courts and they go from house to house. And what happens? Temple courts, house to house, they never stop teaching and more were added to their number. Then when you get to chapter 6, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, it says, rapidly. Okay, then when you get to chapter 8, it says they were scattered. And when they were scattered, they just stopped. Nobody talked about Jesus anymore. It was over. No, it's not what it says. It says everywhere they were scattered, they kept preaching. I mean, get the picture of this in your mind, okay? The idea is we're going to stomp it out. We're going to make it go away. You start killing people. That's a wake-up call, okay? You stone some people on the streets. They'll get the message. They'll stop. They scattered, and now you've got a church planted here, and a church here, and a church over here, and a church in this region, and a church in that region, and now it's popping up all over the place. You can't stomp it out. What they thought would make the church shut down only made it burn brighter. Because people who are committed to sharing Jesus with others don't make excuses. They find a way to share Jesus with others. So, I think this is where we find ourselves this morning. You have this town called Samaria. Jews didn't like Samarians in the 8th century. Assyrians came in, took over, did an exile, took a lot of people out, brought foreigners in. They intermarried, interreligious relationships. The Jews said they're not really Jews. They're not pure like we are. We don't like them. But when Philip goes somewhere, he goes to Samaria. And he shares Jesus with people who are very different from him. Because like we said last week, different does not disqualify you from hearing the gospel. And you see this picture of the church unfolding. Wow. And it just keeps growing. I've had a lot of conversations over the last few weeks, and the conversations that I've had, I'll be honest with you, um, and I've made them myself, and I've been honest to people in my conversations about the fact that I make excuses. You know, I'm a pastor. I don't meet a lot of people who aren't Christian. Hang out mostly with people in church. Um, it's hard. 
I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, personally, about 3 to 5% of people who are Christian today have that gift. I'm not one of them. So it's a real struggle for me. All right? It's not like this stuff just comes natural to me. Not like that at all. It's hard. I don't want to offend people. We got this thing going on in our world today that says it's not really politically correct to suggest to somebody their life might be going the wrong direction. I don't want to come off that way, you know. I mean, and just the list goes on and on and on. Just a lot of excuses. And the truth is, if you want to find some people that had some real legitimate excuses, it's the people in the early church that said, you know, we really should consider closing up shop because they're starting to kill people off. And by the way, that didn't stop. That just increased. Every apostle lost their life. But they said, we're committed to the mission. We're not stopping. There's a country called Mongolia. In 1990, we knew of four Christians in Mongolia. Now, there might have been more, but that's, that's all that were known. It wasn't one of those places where you could just go in and say, hey, I'm here to preach the gospel. You know, you'd lose your life for that. Over the years, Christians have sent people in kind of undercover, to be honest with you. In the Church of the Nazarene, we call it limited access countries. So you don't go in as a missionary, you go in as a school teacher or whatever. And you start having private, personal conversations with people. And you might invite them to your house with others for a Bible study, and and they have house churches. That's how it happens in places like that. Things have changed. And in 2017, the Church of the Nazarene said, okay, we're going to admit that we're in Mongolia. It's okay now. Things have changed there. Other churches are in the same position. But do you know that during all of that time where you couldn't really talk about Jesus, do you know the church grew in Mongolia in these house churches? And did you know that today, now that it is okay to say I'm Christian, 47,000 people say I'm a Christian in Mongolia. Is that amazing to you? You realize what Jesus has done? He's changed people's lives. He's given them hope. It's it's like that city in Samaria that Philip went to. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, people are getting healed because that's what Jesus does. He heals people who are broken. And it was great joy. Do you remember what it was like when you finally came to that place where you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin and he took your sin guilt off of you and he filled you with his love and he changed you and you were born again and your life had hope and meaning and purpose? I mean, that's our inspiration. So I'll I'll, I'll be done, okay? Just, Just a couple of last thoughts. I wonder how many of us here today would say, you know what, here's the bottom line. You want honesty, you want integrity, you want me to be forthright, here we go. Rick, I've never lived a life of outreach, never. I've never lived a life of personal outreach. That's not ever been my story. I don't know if somebody asked me to lead them to Jesus, I don't know that I could even articulate the gospel clearly. I can't think of anybody right now that I 
I'm, I'm reaching out to or that I'm praying for or that I'm spending time with who needs Jesus. It's not who I am. The whole honesty thing is hard. And there's some other path where you can just be a Christian and not actually follow Jesus. I don't, I don't know that that path exists. I don't know that there's any cheap grace. So why don't you stand with me? And before we go... Let's, let's pray together, okay? So I'm going to just invite you, if you'd like, to come to the altar. Let me, let me tell you why, okay? If you uh, feel like God's spoken to you this morning, then you might want to respond to God. Uh, you might have something you want to say back to Him. So I would invite you to come and just find this quiet place to pray. That's all it is. It's a place to pray. Maybe there's other things going on in your life, all right? Maybe going through a really hard time. You may be facing a major struggle. You can come and pray about that too. And there'll be pastors. And I'm going to just invite, if you're a pastor, come and stand either over here or over here. Will you do that? And if you want a pastor to pray with you, if you're sick and you want a pastor to anoint you with oil and pray for you, that will do that. Just say, hey, here's why I want you to pray for me. It may be that you'd say, no, Rick, I'm, I'm listening this morning, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. But I'm here because people at this church have loved me and have opened their arms to me and I would like to become a Christian I would like to be forgiven of sin I would like to become a follower of Jesus I want you to come and walk up to one of those pastors who is standing here and just say hey I want to I want to become a Christian today so for any reason you want to come but I do think that it's important we spend some time praying before we go, okay? So if you want to come, come. In fact, I urge you, I encourage you. If you say, I've, I've got son, daughter, I've got mom, dad, i got brother, sister. They don't know Jesus. I, I don't even pray for them. Maybe that's where you start today. Maybe you start today by praying for them. And maybe you pray this prayer with me in the morning. And maybe you pray it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and next Sunday. God, if you will bring somebody into my life today and you give me the ability to recognize it I will open my arms to them and I will let them in my life and I will love them Jesus like you love them and I won't disqualify them because they're different from me okay maybe you start this morning by praying that prayer now so let's pray
Thanks so much for being here with us today. We'll see you back here next weekend. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.